This is The Scoop, a podcast run by student journalists offering teenagers perspectives on the latest happenings. We hope to provide authentic conversations that allow a quick listen wherever you are. This is London Sinclair, and today we have a very special guest, Miss Samantha Hazel O'Brien. Please introduce yourself. Hi! Thank you so much, London. I've been looking forward to being here, I'm so glad. Um, and I'm happy to join you today. Yes! Okay, we are going to jump right in with this feature, and I would like to know what inspired you to pursue a career in education. Ooh, okay. So, my mother, um, she has been in education, I'm gonna make sure I get this right because she's gonna to listen to this and if I don't, <laughs> I'm gonna hear about it. She's been in education 24 years. This year will be her 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you graduate, she is also going to be graduating. She's just recently announced that she's retiring this year. But she started in the keyboarding class way back when, when you actually learned how to type. Like, you would go to a computer lab. And my mom was the keyboarding teacher at a public school in Norfolk, Virginia. And in this particular school, there it's like um, a Title I school where you have many students that receive free and reduced lunch. And with my mother, her background, she's born and raised in the Bronx, New York which you have to have a lot of grit, a lot of tenacity to make it, if you would. So she's one of a few in her extended family that has even just one college degree. And so she decided to go into teaching. And the kids that she was teaching, while the keyboarding teacher definitely reminded her of her friends growing up. And I would see my mother as a servant leader just devoting herself She would drive around in the minivan with a bullhorn trying to get kids that she knew were skipping school to go to Mm -hmm. school. Like, Johnny, I see you. (laughs) Yes. Get in the van. We're going to school. Um, She would bring extra lunches. She would go to every concert, every basketball game. And I grew up seeing that. But there was a part of me that said, I see all the sacrifice because then my mom wasn't going to my orchestra Concert. She wasn't going to my award ceremony because she was being there for those kids at school. And so there was a part of me that was a little bitter about thinking educators sacrificing so much of themselves for strangers and taking away from their kids. So I actually swore off being a teacher. And it wasn't until my junior year in undergrad where I was tutoring um, younger class I guess men, students, it was a co-ed school. And um, there was a student who just thanked me for giving them the time of day, answering, at this time you would still have a room of phone in your dorm, Mm -hmm. answering the calls, and then just like being kind. That is what turned my lens into thinking, I like engaging with people, I like helping people, and maybe there's a space where I can be an educator that isn't the hero like my mom, but still authentic to myself. Mm -hmm. So I changed my major from just English because I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a lawyer like my dad. Eh." Um, And I changed it to double major in English and secondary education after um, tutoring. I'm doing that my junior year at William & Mary. 
Did you have to do more school time because you gained the second major a little bit late in your undergraduate career? I didn't because I was already advanced in the English portion uh, for the degree, but when you looked at the requirements for secondary ed, I had already taken classes that also aligned and met the requirements there. Because secondary ed, you have to state what discipline versus elementary education, you're kind of a master of all things. Mm -hmm. So since I didn't then change and say, oh, I'm going to be a bio <laughs> like technician and in education, mm -hmm. I was good. Got it. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And so what was your first job or teaching related job coming out of undergraduate? It was in the same city, so Williamsburg, James City County. It was at a new high school, um, and I was the ninth grade and 10th grade English teacher at a co-ed high school that didn't have traditions yet, um, didn't have a big school culture because it was brand new, and we were pulling from the other two high schools in that area for the population. Um, but then the next year, I became uh, the AVID coordinator, which is Advancement via Individual Determination actually founded in San Diego, California, and it's a program that really looks to assist first-generation college-bound students. And so they take advanced courses, they also have tutors, they also have individualized attention to make sure the holistic support is there for the student because more than likely, uh, since they're first-generation college-bound, they may not have that support at home. And so those kids I'm still friends with on Facebook, like I, they're having babies, um, getting married. It's, it's incredible to see them. So how long have you been in education now since the beginning? Ooh, okay, let's see. 2021. 2008, that would have been August 2008, <laughs> I started. I know. 2009, 2010. But then I took time off because I was working in book publishing in New York City. So that would have been 2011, 12. So I want to say this is my, is this my 12th year or my 13th year? If we go 9, 10, skip 11 and 12, so 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and this is 22, so this uh -huh. is my 12th year. Yes, okay. 12th year in education. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, your fingers never fail you. <laughs> they, they will always be your friend, tried and true. I'm, yeah. I'm like, in calculus, I'm like, one, two, three. It helps, you know, the digits help. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, I agree. And so you just mentioned that you went into book publishing, and so you took a break from teaching mm -hmm. and then went back into just English? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So I, at that time, was going to get my master's degree in publishing um, and was at Pace University, which is in Manhattan, New York City. Um, still tutored, though, on the side, uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, because once a teacher, always a teacher. But it was the time of ebooks, like the digital age. Um, and so the book publisher that I worked at, Dorchester Publishing, was a genre publisher. Uh, authors like Louis L'Amour, Stephen King, like the very first ones, mm -hmm. and then a lot of romance. So I was doing <laughs> a lot of slush reading for romance novels all the time still working in the contracts and rights department. Mm -hmm. And so as Amazon was going and buying up all these different small book publishers, they finally landed on Dorchester, and I was one of the last employees there because I was still working in contracts and rights. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of knowledge um, about what royalties were owed to authors. 
And so it was kind of a natural closing because I was no longer at that book publisher and I had to pause and say, do I want to find more here for journalism and publishing or do I want to return to education? And my heart said, let's go back to education. Mm -hmm. And so I came back, and at that time I was in Stafford, Virginia, um, teaching. So you've been all over the map. Yes, yes, yep. Virginia, Little Rock, Arkansas, and now LA. Awesome. How have your many passions for English, for engaging, teaching, learning, evolved into your overarching job as an educator? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a little bit of me that I see in all of my students. Um, and so truly my passion is to meet people where they are, help them be the best versions of themselves, whether that day, that week, <laughs> or that year, let's be honest, it varies. Um, and a lot of my drive is kind of what, um, coming off of Founders Day in Langdon's speech, she had shared that Grace Doyle mm -hmm. said that one success for us, or a success for us is a success for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that was like so well articulated with what I feel. So it's my first year out of the classroom and I'm kind of looking at the school as my classroom, mm -hmm. um, trying to engage with students the way that I would when I was teaching Maya Angelou or teaching Zora Neale Hurston. Connect with a story because then we see each other, mm -hmm. build that trust, and then show up for them day after day after day. You've just mentioned this already, but if you have anything to elaborate, how have your experiences inside of the classroom and general life experiences serving your current position as Director of Student Life Equity and Inclusion at Archer? Yeah, so when I was debating um, <laughs> to apply for the position, I really took a hard look at the job description because I wanted a place that was intentional. There were so many of these jobs popping up um, nationally, and a lot of that was stemming from the social unrest, mm -hmm. seeing the killing of unarmed black men, where now all of a sudden public schools and, and independent schools alike, like, wow, this is also important to us as educators. And that's not to say that there, there are seminal works before we saw the social change and there are advocates working diligently before schools finally are like, yeah, let's get a director or an office of. And so when I was looking specifically at the job description for this one, it aligned with my philosophy, honestly, about pausing and trying to understand before jumping into action. We call it seek to understand here, which I've learned. And then it also merged with this idea that I can support the joy in an adolescent. Because when I was growing up, there were a couple of people in school that I could really rely on. Mm -hmm. My history teacher from 10th grade, Miss Garms, she was one of them where I could be my full self with her, the good, bad, and the ugly, and I knew that she was still gonna show up for me. Mm -hmm. And now with this, educational landscape changing and, and reevaluating itself, I knew if I wanted to do that for more than just the 70 students that take my class, that I could have that larger impact at a school where that it aligns with their culture and their vision. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I hope I can move towards here at Archer. That's so beautiful. 
beautiful. Oh, thank you, London. That sounds so sweet. It is. I mean, but I just, I'm sure with all your research, Googling the amount of DEI, DEIJ. No, you're completely right. So many popping up. Even my mom in Virginia said that um, Norfolk uh, Public Schools was creating, and I don't want to misquote her, but I recall creating an office dedicated to DEI. Mm -hmm. It's like it is everywhere, but even, what does that look like? Even companies, like I know, yeah, um, UTA, the United Talent Agency, just created really, this, yeah, this like DEI role. That's even, like the biggest, yeah, right? Which is, which is which is crazy. You're like, why would wow. a company like UTA or like CAA, yeah, talent agencies? But that's the world is changing, shifting, yeah. and their priorities are changing. Too. Yes, and I, I just I question that, and mm -hmm. it's like, mm, if. And this is my opinion, all of these things did not happen, coupled with a pandemic, when people are forced to look at it, would we still see this change? Mm -hmm. And the cynic in me stops to the point where I'm not going to take advantage of the change because I see an opportunity, I'm going to seize it. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, uh, I guess, where this new DSLEI, my first instinct was the DSLEI. That was my first instinct. I'm making it stick. I'm making it stick. It came out of Archer's strategic plan, which was published in 2019, calling for a new focus on equity, inclusion, diversity, and that inspired your new position. And so how do you feel knowing that you are the first to fill this senior administrative role? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But um, like Rihanna says, you know, pressure makes diamonds. So I am up for the challenge. It is interesting because I'm new to the community. So I'm learning the community mm -hmm. while also executing the job. Mm -hmm. And so there's this good tension that's creating pressure for outcomes, for data, for change within a school year. And that's new. Normally, and I'm new to Archer, so it may not be here, but normally schools move at a glacial yeah. pace. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the fact that we can pivot, we can innovate, we can make change all within the scope of a year is very important to me because then if we find the data supports a new journey we can take, we are brave enough to do that. And so I was thrilled in thinking, that with the senior administrative level, you have this bird's eye view of the entire school that as a DEI practitioner before or a classroom teacher before, I may or may not have had on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is super important to have the office of DEIJ, and I really like to say belonging because Buzzwords are buzzwords, right? Um, and I get it, we're going to have an acronym because educators love acronym. But when I think about belonging, to have a senior administrative position, literally the job is <laughs> to scope out the landscape and see what's happening, what we're doing well, and where we can continue to improve is massive to support this cultural change. Definitely. That's a very good, that's a very good point that I, I hadn't thought about. And just to reiterate your role of Director of Student Life, Equity, and Inclusion, Part of that is, of course, equity and inclusion. So how would you define equity and inclusion? What does it mean to you? Yeah. You mentioned you have some experience as a DEI practitioner. How are you using that to enrich your role here at Archer? Yeah, definitely. So in thinking about equity, 
best practice from, and I should preface this with, I'm currently enrolled in uh, the educational doctoral program at UCLA, which is a social justice program, about how the definition of equity has changed. And so 10 years ago when, um, and a lot of it was prefaced by the inauguration of President Barack Obama, when the country was forced to face conversations about race very publicly, now having a president um, who identified as a mixed race, black and white African-American or black African-American man, um, was seeing equity defined as equality. Now, best practice is equity is for the supports that each individual needs, the supports for a group of people, and making sure that it's tailored to their specific needs, not just giving the same piece to every single student or every population. Mm -hmm. Inclusion for me, it's still one that feels additive, like I'm making a cake and I'm folding it in, versus I'm taking a moment to really amplify and appreciate that ingredient. And so inclusion for me, is belonging, that you are completely interwoven into the community or the group of people. Mm -hmm. You're not just additive. And I, I do hear inclusion almost synonymous with tolerance. And that is not my definition of inclusion. Inclusion is intentional, inclusion is thoughtful, mm -hmm. inclusion is also going to be pervasive. Um, so lots of chocolate chips in, <laughs> you know, the, the cake the metaphor mm -hmm. versus unknowingly just adding it, baking, and being like, oh, I included them. Um, that's not my definition of inclusion. And when I was applying for this position, the school had me meet with uh, students, had me meet with faculty, had me meet with, I mean, everyone, I think, except parents and guardians. Mm -hmm. I even remember the students had a survey about what we were looking for in this new DSLEI position, and so we were definitely included as well. That's I'm not unheard of. It is abnormal to be that in tune with what your community sees and then trying to find the person to fit that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm finding that my work in DEI and my studies at UCLA, it's really helping me find data. And sometimes I can have conversations with people surrounding belonging and inclusion, and they're just in, right? They're empathetic, they want everyone to have that positive experience. Others want to see if there are facts behind it. And that has been an area that I recognize that the stories, the students' voices weren't enough for some people. And so now I have access to research, I have access to people, and I can get all of that data and present it in a way that yes, here is our qualitative interview or focus group, but here is also that quantitative data to support. We need this program or revitalize this or change this. And that has been very helpful because I don't think outside of DEI, I would have had an opportunity to gain access to that. Mm -hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and shifting a little bit from the DEI, you have a whole other half of your job title, which is student <laughs> life. Yeah. So not only what does that uh, specifically include, but then how do the two sides of your job title, student life and equity and inclusion, merge? Yeah, absolutely. So student life is everything from socials, fall outing, uh, discipline, 
also like just hey what's going on <laughs> like how are you so i have a i do have candy full disclosure <laughs> but people will stop in they'll get candy they'll say hi to boo and it's a touch point where i can connect and just get a pulse of what's happening like mm -hmm. what are you feeling so it's everything within the walls of archer related to a student clubs etc the intersection with dei is so fascinating to see because oftentimes we'll just try to say the student experience is in the classroom the student mm -hmm. experience is in the club and we are not acknowledging or affirming identity and that is an opportunity for us so i'm finding that student life when i i have let's say um a social coming up mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, we're going to have this food truck. And I'm like, great, wonderful. And we're going to have Korean food. Okay, let's, let's talk about that. If we're just inviting this in for one particular event, how might that come off to different people? How mm -hmm. might that impact different people? Mm -hmm. We had Halloween, and we did that you know, two-session uh, during the week discussion about cultural appropriation. Halloween is just fun event, dress up in costume, but there's an opportunity here. What happens if we unintentionally other someone? How does that impact their student experience? How does it impact your student experience? Navigating those things together, I'm finding that when you can really focus on the whole student, that experience is just more authentic. And that's where DEI and student life mix together. Good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think this role could be split into two separate positions? I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still living it though. So right now, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I, it would be hard. And because this is set up as a distributed leadership model, there are deans in every single grade level. There are mentors then within that grade level. I have access to the counselor, the academic access director, the academic programs director. And the support system. Yes. So it would, I don't know. I'm open to it because if students come to me and say, um, you know, it would be nice to have three of you. And I say, why? Like, tell me, what, what are you not getting? And that's something that we could do. Of course, I'm open to it. Mm -hmm. But to split it, I just, I have concerns that then it becomes student life and then it becomes DEI. Mm -hmm. And I've lived that. So it's not as intentional or, yes, yeah. Yeah, authentic, like you said. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't know. That's a very good point. I would say now it's a no. <laughs> Maybe ask me in six months before you graduate. You. Okay, let's see. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode. <laughs> What's changed in the last six months? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I would be curious to see, I mean, because you've been here so long, what growth just from this position mm -hmm. you've seen happen in opportunities that we have. So. Person to ask us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and speaking of time, not six months, but two months. <laughs> Looking back on your first two months as DSLEI, what have you learned? Mm -hmm. Where have there been challenges, like you mentioned, triumphs? Um, is there a specific moment you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, let's start with not too many, like when I think back, not too many things give me pause to say, oh, I wish I could have done that differently. And I think because I am engaging with the students, so there's a, an opportunity for me to say, 
how are you feeling after blah, blah, blah. Um, the challenges, still learning the culture and a culture where people have been isolated for the last 18 months. So everyone's telling me from students to faculty, like, oh, well, this is what we've done at Archer, da 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 I'm like, okay, but we can't do that this year because of parameters around COVID mitigation tactics. So what is that going to look like? And I feel like there's always a big buildup for me and then it's like, oh, this is it. So I think the challenge has been seeing Archer fully as Archer. And so I'm just giving myself grace to say, remember, we're all coming back from being isolated. This is not the normal, um, just wait for it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the best parts have been things like, <laughs> they, may, they may be upset with me sharing this, but things like connecting with student council, mm -hmm. um, the exec board, because I have so many last names and a hyphen and an apostrophe, um, have a nickname for me, so I felt like I was in because it was like, yes, I got. A nickname. Are we allowed to share the nickname? I'm. I'm gonna have you ask them. I'm <laughs> gonna ask them because I don't know. I don't know if that's like an inside thing, but it definitely made me feel yeah. like they see me, I see them. Um, so that has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Also thinking, um, I just had a chance to attend a BSU meeting. Oh my gosh, the space the there was, it was... The energy is yes. always amazing. Yes. <laughs> so that has been really, really affirming. Um, and then I would, I would honestly say some of the highlights have been just natural things happening in the hallway. Like not prescribed over at a class meeting or we have a virtual assembly, but doing walk and talks. I stopped saying drive-bys because one of my students, thankfully, brought it to my attention that has a negative connotation. And I was like, yeah, let's just do a drive-by. And we walk and we talk. She was like, why don't you try walk and talk? I was like, got it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. <laughs> so just like connecting with someone, like, where are you going? And then we continue to walk together and we talk. Like Those moments have been so touching because mm -hmm. then I know that students trust me. I'm safe with them, they're safe with me. Mm -hmm. So those have been highlights. Of course you have different events and the people are great, but honestly just walking around and, and connecting with students is pretty cool. And they're always just like, um, I'm like, you're fine. I literally just want to talk to you. So it's the balance of, oh gosh, the Dean is coming. Like, what did I do? It's like, no, I just <laughs> saw you in the hallway. Just say <laughs> hi. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's been um, some of the highlights. Yeah, those are some really great highlights. I was for a second I was like the Oracle is a nickname for you, but it's it's much more logistical. It's just your initial <laughs> your initials S H O. Yeah, yeah. For for time saving strategies. Yeah. yeah, my former student. So this would have been Little Rock um, because I was engaged and then married during my time teaching there. When we had the initial show, it became Showtime. And so it was like, okay, all right, y'all, this is you're getting away with this one, but yeah, Showtime was the nickname. <laughs> and I'm I'm glad you mentioned COVID because I didn't want to mention it in the beginning because it has consumed all of our lives yeah. for long enough. I didn't want it yeah. to dominate the conversation, but 
it's you know it's a reality and so we do have to talk about it there are probably some general challenges from moving from the virtual to the in-person landscape mm -hmm. uh, on top of being new on top of it being a new position you've mentioned it a little bit but if you have anything to elaborate i know that i'm personally experiencing challenges so many of my friends are and so yeah. you are also not alone in that thank you thank you for sharing that london yeah, the mask makes it really hard. Um, when I'm trying to connect with someone, I rely so much on body language and facial expressions. So being a newbie to this community and trying to get a vibe on someone has been really hard. Um, and so like when I think back to your previous question, things that I want to redo are the moments where like oh that didn't land well and i can't tell in the moment because of the mask but i've also been really happy with the fact that it is a learning space and students will come back to me and we'll talk through that afterwards so that's been very helpful it is you know with the student life equity and inclusion it is challenging to connect when we're still keeping distance so trying to get creative with things like in my virtual assembly, having a riddle of the day to really get people talking or having a turn and talk. So it's contrived fun, if you would, where <laughs> you're forced to talk to the person next to you. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying workarounds with the mitigation tactics that we have to have, understandably so. Like this is a pandemic that has taken millions of lives. So I don't want to sit here and whine and be like, oh my gosh, I can't read people because we have to wear masks. Like, it's not that, it just makes the job um, more challenging. Mm -hmm. I, I have to admit that my advisor was a little disappointed in the last riddle of the day. <laughs> it was, oh, it didn't meet all the expectations. Yes, the lot, I know. I got a lot of feedback about how are we supposed to tell? Our screen is this big, everyone else's screen is this big. I was like, it's a riddle. Yeah. <laughs> I remember from our initial meeting that you mentioned you were an advisor for the newspaper. And this yeah. was at Mar Marymount, right? Yes. Your most recent job. Right. So it yeah, was a recent Marymount. experience. Okay. And so I am curious and a little bit biased as someone who's on the orb. How is the transition from an advisor for the newspaper at your old school that practices prior review and prior restraint to Archer, where the Oracle has total press freedom? What's that like as a senior administrator, um, yeah. as, as someone who's being featured on the podcast itself, things like that? Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because I didn't have the administrator experience mm -hmm. at Marymount. So... I'm pretty much doing the same thing on this side that I would have done there because I'm not working with you all and reviewing the stories or the articles or the features, but just full trust that you have a program, like you're taking this class, you're learning ethics, and then you're actually doing it, which is amazing. Um, and so I hope that if anything, I can learn from you all to make sure that I'm not holding on to old habits from knowing a different system where you have prior review. Mm -hmm. And just like, mm, okay, let's think through this. Is it going to make it to final press? And mm -hmm. like, maybe, maybe not. How can we go about it? Versus you all having full creative liberty to get the facts and follow through with a story. I also really appreciate that you all have a class when I was in Little Rock, we had a journalism class where mm -hmm. it was in the schedule students had to take it. 
versus when I was at Marymount, it's a club. So you meet and do all the work during lunchtime. You basically get lessons from me. Attendance isn't taken like it would be in a class. So there's an opportunity for you all to learn and do it the right way. And I wish all schools could have that. Archer, the Archer Oracle started as a club initially. Did it really? And it's just, yeah, it's evolved throughout the years. And that's why we're so grateful for the trust that you've been able to build with the, the admin and the, and the rest of the community because we put so much work and it means so yes, much to yes. us. Yes, I do nothing differently. It's just like, okay, someone's coming to talk to me. Well, how much time do I have? Because I have the gift of gab. Um, so it would be curious for me to be at a school with prior review as an administrator and then be here at Archer at a school that does not to see what is going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm so glad that we had the chance to sit down yeah. and talk. I've been looking forward to this Same. for at least a month. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just, I thank you. Um, it's no, really cool. Like, really cool. And if CSPA is listening, <laughs> take note. Um, no, awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. If you liked the sound of this episode, subscribe to The Scoop Podcast. It's free. We'll be chatting with you and giving the daily scoop on life at Archer. If you're new to all things podcasts and need more info on how to listen, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the Oracle website, archeroracle.org. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong. See you next time.